Dunlop, co-creator of Teen Brain Trust and one of the hosts of Hope Punk Parenting Podcast. This is a short-form podcast for anyone raising a teenager. At Teen Brain Trust, we bring together a community of mental health experts, neuroscientists, educators, and parents like me to demystify adolescents, help adults build better relationships with teenagers, and empower the next generation of change makers. Today, we're excited to be joined by Jeffrey Davis, author and co-founder of Tracking Wonder. We were introduced to Jeffrey many months ago, and we've become increasingly interested in how his work on wonder relates to teens. As we'll discuss in our interview, recent studies have shown how important hope, optimism, and emotional resilience are to our teens' long-term success and fulfillment. We recently collaborated with Jeffrey on a blog post that explores this topic further, but we also wanted to hear from him directly about how he thinks about wonder as it relates to parenting and what we can do as parents to foster it in our own homes. So let's dive in and explore the role of wonder, hope, and optimism in teen development with Jeffrey from Tracking Wonder. Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey, for being with us here today. We're we're special guests, and we're very lucky to have you. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So tell me a little bit about yourself and Tracking Wonder. Sure. Uh, well, about myself, I live in New York's Hudson Valley, where I work as a researcher, author, strategist, and founder of Tracking Wonder Consultancy. So we can start there with Tracking Wonder as a consultancy. We're always seeking kind of evidence-based ways to elevate our people who are both individuals and organizations. They're often advancing sometimes big ideas, bold initiatives, and we find ways to help them do so without burning out. Um, And that often involves the set of skills and the framework that I'm sure we'll be discussing today, which is the other What Tracking Wonder is about. My body of work uh, and applied research overlaps in three areas, the science of human flourishing, the science of mindfulness, and the science of creativity and innovation. And it turns out where those three overlap is uh, the science of wonder. You wrote Tracking Wonder for an adult audience, but we found that the ideas in the book are really important for teens as well. In your words, why is wonder so important? Yeah. Well, that's the question of questions, right? That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) That is the the, question. (laughs) It is the question. It's the question I've been actively living in for actively deliberately for over 15 years. Um, You know, what is wonder? Why do we experience it? Why does it matter? Why do some scientists call wonder the hallmark of the human species or our human birthright or as Rene Descartes said a few hundred years ago, why is wonder the first of all emotions? So I've really mm. been living in those questions yeah. uh, for quite some time. So before I answer why, let me def- um, just say this, why it's important. And then maybe I could give just a little backstory that le- led me up to that. Is that okay? Absolutely. So wonder, I would suggest just to be right up front for why it's important, it turns out to be the most important emotional experience for teens and grown-ups um, for them to foster. And I'll, I'll clarify why today, I hope. Wonder's not kid stuff. It's radical grown-up stuff. And I have, as I said, been on a rather circuitous uh, but beautiful journey in pursuit of these questions. And 
it was really after having a sort of domino effect of setbacks in this journey that I got really curious about the role of wonder amidst adversity and challenge. So I redirected my studies and my applied research around this question, which is directly tied to why is wonder so important? How do fulfilled innovators flourish more than flounder amidst inevitable challenge and change? Because as I was working with so many people, many of them would flourish, many of them would flounder. They all experienced challenges. And as soon as they set off on some bold idea or initiative, whether it was a team or an individual, there were all kinds of unbidden surprises. And that was certainly my case and often continues to be. So how do they flourish? It turns out that 10,000 hours of deliberate practice is important, grit's important, talent's important, but none of those are necessarily as important as the emotional experience of wonder that allows us human beings to ultimately persist through complex creative endeavors without burning out. That was kind of my discovery along the way. It was kind of my hypothesis, but I wasn't really clear if that was true. And when I started, there was just a barely even a science of wonder that is now emerging, as I say, and that I pulled together in my book, Tracking Wonder. So here are some observations that drive how I live and work with others in response to your question, why it's so important. Um, Let me define it. Wonder is a state of heightened awareness that's brought about by something unexpected, something unexpected that delights us like a bald eagle landing in your backyard or disorients us, sort of bewilders us, um, forces us to question what we consider to be real or true or both. So wonder is a quiet disruptor of our biases and of our biased perception. And as a consequence of this disruption, we can see again, at least for a moment, what is real and true, beautiful and possible. Now that might be a renewed view of ourselves and our own potential, or suddenly a new view of a coworker that you had sort of boxed in, or suddenly a different view of what's real regarding your life situation or an idea that you want to advance. So it turns out there are profound physiological effects, mental health effects, uh, and psychological effects on these experiences of wonder that involve our ability to be more creative, less reactive in the face of challenge and adversity, to uh, foster healthy, genuine relationships instead of being divisive and isolated, um, and to, to navigate sometimes crises uh, and adversity. I lay out six facets of wonder, six, six sides of wonder. I recognize that wonder emerges in different forms for us and it expresses itself differently in us and sometimes at different stages in our lives. So as I'm sure we'll explore, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old daughter and These facets of wonder express themselves very differently in each girl. First facet of wonder is openness. It's a wide-eyed, intelligent naivete 
and openness to new experiences. It turns out this is profoundly important among the innovators and the sciences, arts, and entrepreneurship that I've studied. Curiosity. This is Wonder's more proactive cousin. It's where we're experimental. It's where we're a bit more rebellious in which we learn by doing and we question the status quo way of doing things. And then there's bewilderment. This is the disorienting facet of wonder. This is not something people typically associate with wonder, but I'm still reading bedtime stories to my eight-year-old. And if you look at children's literature, the best of children's literature is full of bewilderment because childhood's bewildering as so is adulthood these days. Um, so you think of Alice spiraling down the rabbit hole and landing in Wonderland, it is a completely bewildering place. So this is a really important facet of wonder for teenagers and others because it's where we learn to fertilize instead of pathologize being confused. Hope is the next facet of wonder. It's not wishful thinking. Hope is a proactive mindset, and it's where we maintain some interest, we set small goals, we engage in creative activities, and we surround ourselves with other people, even when we're in crises or adversity, um, with our eye toward a better possible future. And then finally, the last two facets have to do with relationships. The next facet is connection. This speaks to our longing to belong to something greater than ourselves. It's where we get synced up in conversation. It's where we get synced up maybe in dance or athletics or other activities, but it's also where we practice busting our biases toward one another so we can really sync up with and collaborate with one another. And then finally, admiration. Um, so I've been reading The Arabian Nights to my eight-year-old, and in the translation, which is probably a 60-year-old translation, admiration keeps appearing over and over again as a facet of wonder. And I'm, so it's making me curious about why in our Western achievement culture, we've lost the sense of admiration as a facet of wonder. But I define admiration as a surprising love for someone's excellence and character or craft that uplifts us to be better versions of ourselves. So finally, I just want to say what underlies all these facets is what I call activating our distinct genius character strengths. It's where we activate our young genius. You mentioned that your eight-year-old and your 13-year-old experience wonder very differently just now. Um, can you give us an example of how? How might they react differently to that moment when a bald eagle picks a fish out of the stream right in front of them? You know, I've been observant of both girls since they were born um, because I've felt like in part one of my most important roles as a father is to be attentive and to just witness who who is emerging. And um, the older daughter quickly, within a matter of weeks, emerged as a very highly emotional, emotionally expressive person with all kinds of facial gestures. And that's turned out to be pretty consistent too, very emotionally expressive. And so now we're definitely guiding her toward theater where, where she's flourishing. And now some of her friends want to be ambitious and put on their own production of The Sound of Music somehow in the spring. I don't know how that's going to work, but um, she's loving it. So I thought, yeah, that, that just makes a whole lot of sense. The eight-year-old loves all of those things too, but um, I'll give you a, a difference in art, for instance. 
the younger one uh, showed up in the world just giving you a steely-eyed Buddha gaze, like for the first several days of her existence. <laughs> and you would look and try to get a smile at her, out of her. And Pretty I mean, stoic, for you, huh? you know, and even with the chubby cheeks, you know, she's three or four. People are always trying to get her to smile. And she's just looking at you like, what have you got to give me? Because I'm not giving right. you Right. I'm not giving you my smile just yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So very interesting way of just showing up. And it's extremely observant more observant than the other three in the family really continues to be so observant, takes things in really focused, really learning, loves to break things down and is all into art right now, but is into paper mache, making things, building things and so forth. She's a real maker builder questioner. You know, all children are questioners, but she, she raises certain kinds of questions that her older sister didn't necessarily raise. So, I would say, for instance, the younger one has a much more heightened um, intellectual curiosity than the older one expressed, where she, the older one expressed maybe more artistic, um, expressive curiosity, right? The older one's not so necessarily interested in always, like, how do things work uh, and wanting to break things down. She might be curious about that, but that's not really what drives her, unlike the younger one. Uh, so if they both saw the bald eagle, you know, the older one would find the appreciation, the expression of it. Um, maybe it makes her think about something symbolically. And then the younger one would be, you know, probably raising questions like where, so where did it come from? And, and why did it show up here? on this particular day and, and, you know, those types of <laughs> inquiry questions. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting? I'm always fascinated because I have three boys. Um, I'm always fascinated how they're uniquely wired. Uh, it's always a delicate balance, isn't it? I do think <laughs> it's so important um, for me and uh, I'm sure for other parents as well to keep acknowledging those differences in character in each each child or each teenager. And this does tie in to, in many ways, the foundations of what we call positive psychology, co-founded by Marty Seligman, and what we would say is kind of the, the foundation of human flourishing. Much of this goes back actually to the thinking of Aristotle, who I often think of as like one of our early positive psychologist, because Aristotle was asking the question, what leads to a good life? What kinds of activities and expressions of virtue and character strengths lead to, yeah. lead to a good life, right? Yeah. And so he had this idea, as did his teacher before him and his teacher before him, that we're each born with this sort of force of character that's unique to each of us. It's complex. We're born forgetting it because we're in this wide-eyed wonder of not knowing, and that includes kind of forgetting who we are in our nature. But every once in a while, we remember it. It's like a veil lifts, and we suddenly remember who we are at our core and who we are at our best and what activities can bring out the best in our character. And those moments of unforgetting are moments of wonder, so the word in Greek was daemon for that force of character, daemon, and it translates loosely um, to genius. 
And so that's why I often use that word genius is so the eight-year-old's sort of genius force of character expresses itself differently from the older, the 13-year-old. And so different activities will bring out different character strengths in each girl. I try to, you know, be curious myself as a father about what kinds of activities can I guide them toward or mentors, um, support teachers, friends that will keep supporting them around those activities to keep nurturing that genius. Yeah. Yeah, It's really important to be open to having them realize what their character strengths are. Um, and then, cause some, cause a lot of children, you know, they don't realize it comes easy to them. So they don't realize that that's actually a character strength of theirs. This is so important. And you're right. Children don't, children take that for granted, but don't, totally take don't it we, granted. don't we, yeah. don't, yeah. don't, don't we oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I know I've taken mine for granted. Absolutely. I know that Absolutely. that's, a, that's a strength. Yeah. Oh, it comes so easily to yes. me. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so what happens in those sort of moments of unforgetting is quite often when a mentor or a friend or sometimes even a stranger suddenly sees something in us that we had forgotten. That's a moment of unforgetting what in Greek, they even called aletheia is like this deep, deep remembering. So one thing even, you know, listeners can do that, that we've done sometimes in our family is to go around even with the younger one and say, I can remember a time in the past. And for my wife and me, it's when we were younger, around seven, eight, nine or 10. Remember a time when you were engaged in something where you felt alive and free to be yourself uniquely and maybe at your best. Maybe nobody was watching. Maybe they were. Um, And so we explore those memories and then we try to identify, well, what one, two or three traits were present in in that memory or that set of memories. And then we talk about what, hmm, yeah, when my genius is really activated, I'm really imaginative or I'm deeply attuned to other people or I'm really curious or you know, for our older one, it's like, I'm really funny (laughs) and I'm really engaging other people through humor. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. Um, So we know that having a sense of optimism about the future is critical for teen development and positive outcomes for teens in later life. It's motivating. It feels good. And it promotes self-development and exploration, which is fundamental to teen development. You spoke earlier about how a sense of wonder is a critical element in accomplishing big things. Can you talk about the mechanics of this a little bit? Like how do hope, optimism, and wonder translate to life, to translate to long-term life successes? Mm -hmm. And and fulfillment. Yeah. 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 So, well, we can talk about, for instance, even curiosity. We know that experiences of curiosity neurologically, which is kind of in your lane, uh, release dopamine. And if that curiosity is directed in an appropriate, let's say, genius-activating activity or complex endeavor, a challenging endeavor, then the release of dopamine turns out to be a huge neurological motivator for persisting toward that future-oriented goal or activity. It drives us through challenges, but it also has this quality of allowing us to find pleasure in the challenge itself. So we're not just finding the pleasure and satisfaction 
in the outcome, but actually in the process of working through the challenges. And so when a teenager experiences some degree of meaningful achievement or pleasure in the process, they have a healthier self-regard for those strengths we just talked about. What strengths did you bring to that that allowed you to, to get through that particular project? This can give them optimism about their own abilities to navigate this bewildering world. Um, now, it turns out that experiences of interest and gratitude can build, and this comes out of the work of Barbara Fredrickson um, after 9-11, that um, these experiences of interest, now, at the time that she was doing her studies, again, there was just a nascent science of wonder. And so many psychologists, if they were talking about wonder, would often use the word interest. But experiences of interest, experiences of gratitude can actually um, expand what she calls our cognitive resources and our social resources. So to help understand what I'm what I mean, what she means by broadening of cognitive resources, you can think of the metaphors we use like narrow-minded or broad-minded. And it turns out those are pretty useful metaphors. When we're we're narrow-minded in a healthy way, we're hyper-focused on getting something done and we tune out all distractions. That's advantageous in some cases, but disadvantageous in other cases. When we're really trying to work through certain challenges and find different approaches, different perspectives that you alluded to earlier, you actually want a broadened cognitive repertoire. In other words, you want your faculties to be working as such that you can kind of easily call upon your long-term memory as well as your working memory. You can call upon like sort of random images, associations. You can be aware of, you know, little shadows in your physical environment or other little um, um, objects in your environment that might give you creative insight to a solution to your particular challenges. All of that can build increased confidence, right, in teenagers' abilities to to work through their challenges. Um, now, is is that... Is that kind of making sense? Absolutely. uh, Yes. And it speaks to a lot of what we talk about um, in terms of the dopamine. And I love when you said the pleasure that that actually their teens can have pleasure in the process of the challenge, which I think is so important. Um, And yeah, all of this, you're right. So right. It speaks to a higher self-confidence and that's what, we want to embed in our teens and help foster in our teens is this, you know, higher self-confidence. Higher self-confidence, a healthy, like what Carl Rogers would call a healthy self-regard. Mm-hmm. It's different from self-esteem. It's a healthy oh, self-regard, right? It's yes. like... No, it's a self-regard, it's, exactly. Yeah, yes. Character-based. And I understand yes. what I'm bringing forward that allowed me to get through this. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, my, my eight-year-old was challenged with a vocabulary assignment. She had to create a story out of all the vocabulary words. She got stuck at the beginning, was about to shut down. We kind of like talked through it. I kind of helped her get started on it. And pretty soon she was rolling on it. And so then afterwards she felt very successful. I said, "Hmm, okay. (laughs) It's like, you know, Papa coach comes out. I said, oh, well, let's do a little process 
breakdown. She's like, what's that? What are you talking about, Papa? <laughs> I love language. it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, she's I said, not well, the expert, Jeffrey. Yeah. I mean, she's not you. So it's a little scary. It's a little <laughs> annoying to have me in the house. Oh, no, it's such a good life skill you're teaching her. <laughs> but I, said, I said, let's, I said, well, let's just look back on what you did and how you did it. So maybe you learn the next time I said, you know, at first you, you shut down because you couldn't figure things out, but then with just a little seed, just a little idea, you got started and then you moved through it and then you got creative and you thought of this character and so forth. So I was just helping her reflect back on what she did that would, yeah, give her that healthy self-regard. Like, okay, this is how I did it, why I did it, and I can do this the next time. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, could I say something too that I think would be relevant to your listeners with teens and curiosity and dopamine? So during the pandemic, there, of course, were, were heightened spikes of anxiety and depression. And there were some studies that were showing not, you know, maybe not surprisingly, that a lot of what I would call digital distraction can release dopamine. And oh, yeah. Right. Yep. And so yeah. what this was uh, examining is how excessive release of dopamine ultimate without renewal becomes depleting and can lead to cognitive burnout. So that's why I think it's so important for teens to direct their curiosity toward activities that are really bringing out the best in them. Kids are inherently prone to wonder and optimism more than adults, but research shows that the cutoff age of this naive optimism is definitely dropping. More and more children are being faced with adversity that they simply aren't equipped to handle. That makes it crucial for us to play a role in helping our teens regain some of that childlike wonder and optimism. So as an expert in cultivating wonder, as you are, how do you do this with your teen? I'm new to being a father of a teen, like six months new. So um, I don't pretend to be an expert in that specific arena, however, and I will respond to your question. It's such an important question. I keep saying um, to my wife, Hillary, who agrees too, like, this is the most important time for us to be attentive and present, even when she doesn't know that we're being present and attentive or doesn't want us to be. Exactly. We talk about being that potted plant. Yep. We need to be those potted plants. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. If I had an invisibility cape, my daughter would be so happy, but I don't. If it's okay, I do want to bring out my rebel facet of curiosity and just maybe offer a different perspective on a couple of things that that you've noted um, about how children are more prone to wonder than adults. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they do have a more direct experience with a certain kind of naive and innocent wonder than adults, which is what we often think of with wonder. And I think that's because by virtue of their proximity to birth and their early neurological development. But I just want to say for the record, this is really important for parents of teens too. Grownups are capable of experiencing a much richer form of wonder. And I suspect my 13-year-old is experiencing wonder at a much deeper level and complex level than the eight-year-old. That's just my hypothesis. So think of the filmmaker's like Steven Spielberg or Wes Anderson. I could rattle off names of scientists and entrepreneurs too. 
they have far richer experiences of wonder than my eight-year-old. And they're able, right? They're able Mm -hmm. because of their intelligence and excellence to gift wonder to their audiences. Mm -hmm. They can elicit wonder in us, right? So just wanted to, to offer that perspective. There was also an interesting study right before the pandemic from the CDC where parents reported that at least according to them, their own children were pretty high in resilience and curiosity and teenagers still like, I think in the 80% range, you know, of curiosity and persistence. So I don't want to take away from the fact that children are experiencing adversity. I think childhood in general has been difficult in different ways for generations, for, for different populations. Um, and so I, I don't romanticize childhood because childhood is really confusing to a lot of very, people. Very, very confusing. And it just seems to get, it just seems more to get so. more confusing. More so, more so. And I Absolutely. Think, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. But let me answer your wonderful question and thank you for letting me just provide that context. Um, so, you know, I noticed um, just in a matter of like months, it was like, okay, suddenly she turned 13 and she just became 13 in a couple of months. And I noticed, for instance, that once school started again this year, I was grateful. Her friends become a much more central focus in her life. She's quiet, introverted. So I was really glad that her friends became so central. And by the same token, she was withdrawing from family activities. She was developing a different relationship suddenly with her younger sister. They've been very close. Um, And so I was noticing that. I was noticing a little mourning, personal mourning in me, but I thought, oh, it's really important that I accept this fact. And I even acknowledged it to her at one point. I sat down with her just kind of casually one day and said, hey, I just, I know you're going through lots of changes inside of you that you can't even understand or explain. And I probably couldn't explain it either. And that's okay. And I know your friends are becoming more important maybe than the family. And that's okay too. I just want you to know I'm always going to be here, always going to be probably overprotecting you. (laughs) That's just my nature. Uh, But I'll always be here for you. So I thought it was just important that first I acknowledged the change in her and the shift away from family in some ways. But I do find ways to invite her into wonder, particularly through our, what we call wonder days or wonder expeditions. Um, This is something I've loved to do for a long time. And so a wonder day is, you know, usually a weekend day or a summer day if I have work off and it's where we foster openness to new experiences, curiosity, sometimes connection, because we'll loosely plan a weekend day uh, in the Hudson Valley and to either go to a new hamlet or town altogether or to go to a series of new places within a hamlet or town we're already familiar with. So recently it looked like going to a village, exploring a new bookstore, we spend as much time there exploring as we want, then visiting a new game cafe and playing a game together and eating good snacks, of course, because they know snacks are always on the agenda, followed by a visit to a new vintage shop and trying on new clothes and so forth. And then, you know, we're open to taking a scenic walk or bringing along our bikes. And 
the aim is to be together exploring new places and being open to surprise and serendipity and and of course maybe building some some good memories along the way and thankfully she's still very much into that <laughs> so there's one other way that might be relevant too is i'm helping her track wonder so to speak through trying out new experiences such as kickboxing at first you know the 13 year old was resistant to it because it was so new, but it completely has opened up this introverted, gentle girl in all new ways. He's testing. <laughs> it kind of goes along with this new persona suddenly of rip, ripped jeans and baseball caps. So I'm like, oh, that is a different appearance. Yep. <laughs> 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 so I, you know, adolescence. Uh, is often about, like Nietzsche said, it's about like trying on uh, uh, different masks until you find which one or which ones fit. And mm -hmm. so I want to keep putting her in these different situations with these new kinds of experiences and activities to see what emerges for uh, her at this stage. You're imprinting yeah. memories on them, <laughs> which will last a lifetime, which is so special. Yeah. Yes. So thanks so much for your time and expertise. Um, before mm. we close out the conversation, is there anything else our audience should know about wonder, optimism, and cultivating emotional resilience in our teens? Mm. This work begins with ourselves and it can be profound um, to really acknowledge this part of ourselves and to track wonder as grownups and be models for tracking wonder for our teens but not to expect them to track wonder a certain way. And so I think our conversation has been helpful in that regard to just recognize how wonder expresses itself differently in each of us. Thank you for spending time today talking with us and for all the inspiration. We're both glass half full kind of people, and we know that infusing this in our everyday life with our teens has a lot of benefits. If our audience is interested in learning more about you, where should they go? Well, first, I hope they go to our blog under the resources section of trackingwonder.com and read the wonderful article that the Teen Brain Trust wrote about teens and optimism. Uh, the other place is trackingwonder.com slash podcast bonus, where your listeners can download uh, the first chapter of my book, Tracking Wonder, and can take our Wonder at Work assessment. And then maybe they want to go to trackingwonder.com slash dispatch just to uh, subscribe to our weekly newsletter and stay apprised of what's happening in the world of Tracking Wonder. Terrific. We will link to all those places in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Helping teens thrive on their own once they leave home is a crucial task for all of us parents, and it's one that we're actively building out a large library of resources to support. So stay tuned. You can download our free guide, How to Help Your Teen Leave Home with Confidence, by going to teenbraintrust.com backslash help your teen leave home. Finally, if you have any questions about this episode or how to help your teen leave home with confidence, please email us at info at teenbraintrust.com. We want to help you raise healthy, successful, and fulfilled teens, and we love hearing your questions and suggestions for future content. Thanks for listening. 